Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, lax rats alike, welcome back to another episode of the Crease Dive. Today is Thursday. May the 4th be with you, and conference tournament season is upon us. The calendar has flipped over to May, and we're finally at that sweet, sweet point of the season where if you want to advance, you have to survive. I'm Jordy from Barstool. With us, as always, we've got Brother Dugues on the mic, but before we get to Dugues and his busted ankle, we're happy. We are thrilled to be joined by a good friend of the program, recurring guest, uh, just one of the brightest minds and greatest hearts that the lacrosse world has to offer. We've got Larkin Kemp on the line. Larkin, what's going on, brother? How we uh, how we feeling so far this this season, this May? I know it's a little tough for you right now with Bruno's season over, but got a lot of great lacrosse to look forward to. Yeah, yeah. Um, lots to cover there. I like that intro. That might be the nicest thing anyone's ever said about me, so... I appreciate it and uh, probably play that back for my mother tonight over dinner. But um, tough season for Brown. Lots to get into there. Haven't really commented publicly on the suspension. Um, suspensions, I should say, for obvious reasons. And just an up and down season. Happy to give my thoughts high level later in the, in the show. But um, really, really excited at more of a macro level about conference tournament week. I think it's going to be a really exciting May um, for the nation and for for everyone who cares about this game, I think we have obviously the the tier A at the top is as good as I've ever seen. I think, you know, to take last year as an example, Maryland was firing on all cylinders. And I think heading into the into the tournament, very few people could construct a rational argument as to how they would lose. I think we have no idea what's going to happen between that kind of ferocious tripod of, of UVA, Notre Dame, and Duke. I think it makes the committee decision on who gets the first seed fascinating and critically important to avoid that semifinal matchup. Um, and then when you get into that tier two, I actually think there's some really high quality teams with some future pros at value positions. And ultimately that's what you need um, to be successful and upset one of those kind of generational type offenses um, and, and quality groups that of the former group that I referenced. So I think it's going to be great. The weather's turning um, exciting time in my personal life. Dilma was bachelor party this weekend which we can get into the itinerary um, or lack thereof, but, but really good to be here and great to see your guys' faces and hope everyone's good. Doing great. Uh, Dukes, let, let's get a, a quick little recap from you real quick before we really get ourselves going. Um, you know, we heard from you a couple weeks or a couple days ago. Uh, yeah. Any, any update, how ankle feeling at least a little bit better yet, or do we have a little bit more energy? Maybe, maybe the pain pills are wearing off a little bit. Uh, yeah, the pain pills, uh, I'm not on as much um, of the uh, prescribed Oxycontin as I was a couple episodes ago. Uh, the brain is flowing a little bit better, uh, which really isn't flowing too much to begin with at all. But a couple episodes ago, I was pretty out of it. But yeah, I'm, I'm back a little bit. Uh, legs, legs resting. Uh, I'm back to chirping people on TikTok. Uh, it feels good. It feels good to be back in the, uh, in, the, in the chirping area. But yeah, bouncing back on my feet. I don't think there's anything scarier than like a, a post athletic life surgery and how to rehab what happens from there. Like we all take it for granted when we're playing, like having doctors and like therapists to look at you all day. Um, That's my. I just had this. I just had this conversation with my friend. It was like the biggest, the biggest fucking fear at 25 years old is blowing your name. Yeah, like I was telling Jordy last episode, Larkin, that. Uh, like they needed someone to fill in at midfield and, you know, team player, team guy, I'll fill in where, wherever you need me to. I didn't want to dodge. Cause I was like, I don't want to split dodge. I don't want to tear my ACL. Like I, that was like one, like one of the things that was on my mind as I was running is like, just don't dodge too hard. Cause you don't want your knee to blow out. And totally. then my ankle, 
Just I mean, to spin this to spin this in a positive direction, like something that's super near and dear to my heart. You know, I think of Jack Kelly as Superman for a lot of reasons, but what he did rehabbing and coming back from that injury in a sport where you don't have um, the facilities and the availability of like on staff doctors to rehab you all day is it's like nothing short of a miracle. Um, mm -hmm. Like he deserves to win comeback player of the year at like the ESPYs, right? Like it's one thing to blow your knee in the, in the NFL. Like there's guys literally looking at you as if you're like the president of the United States 24, seven, 365 to get that thing. Right. Um, so I, I already had so much respect for him, but what he did living in Manhattan to rehab that thing and get going. Um, I'm just so thrilled for him that he's team USA's goalie and hopefully bring home a, a gold medal this summer. Yeah, I've got one more positive spin here for you, Dukes, and you're going to find this out probably in a couple weeks, but um, it is, it's highly different rehabbing an injury in your post-athletic career, like when you're just a, a washed-up adult male. Um, but the cool thing about it is when you go to physical therapy after this, like you're not going to be surrounded by other athletes who are all trying to get back to an actual, like you're going to be surrounded by like a bunch of old people and they're going to be amazed at what you can do at physical therapy. They're going to be like, look, look at, look at that young, strapping, yeah. handsome man. Like, like you are going to be the fucking alpha of that, of that physical therapy room. Every time you step in, you're probably going to have a good 35 to 40 years on everybody on average. Um, but you're, you're going to be a stud in there for sure. So that's something to look forward to. If you don't think that that crossed my mind, like as soon as my <laughs> ankle snapped, like I heard, I played it back. You could hear the snap. If you really listen to it, you could hear the snap. But when, I, when the ankle snapped, I remember thinking to myself like, Oh my God, I'm going to be a God in PT. Like I, I'm going to be like an athlete to get in there. Like they're going to be like, how wasn't this kid? Like, so like, Oh, you broke it playing lacrosse. Like what's your professional team called? Like I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna fucking milk everybody in there. No one's gonna have any idea what, like, like what my actual story is. I'm gonna be like, I played for the Water Dogs, you know, the whole, the whole one too. Yeah, yeah, and they're and they're too old to really figure out the internet still, so they're not gonna be able to look up the right. rosters and see that you're not there. Um, tell you what though, if they look at uh, if if they bring up the schedule for this coming week, and and boys, I know that everyone here is a little bit strapped for time, so we are gonna get right into it. We are. I'm, I'm going to put a pin in the uh, in the Malloy bachelor party. I'm I'm very interested to hear about that later. We'll put a pin in that. We'll make sure to get back to it at the end. So everyone who's listening right now, you fuckers, I mean, technically you could just fast forward all the way to the end and get to the Malloy bachelor party. But if you're a real one, stick around for the whole episode, and then that'll be your little treat on the back end. Uh, but we have an unbelievable slate of games coming up, and it starts today at 1 p.m., right? We don't even have to wait until the weekend to get here because uh, starting today at 1 p.m., we've got conference 20 games going all day Thursday. Uh, we've got all afternoon running into the night on Friday. Um, obviously we we've got a great game on the schedule that's already locked with North Carolina and Notre Dame on Saturday, but then you've got plenty of the, uh, of the conference tournament championships on uh, Saturday and Sunday. So what a four days we are in store for here, uh, that'll bring us into the actual NCAA tournament. Um, let, let's just, let's start off. Let, let's just go chronological order. I feel like that's going to be the easiest way to avoid confusion. And then plus we can really work our way into throwing those takes around by the time that we get to the Ivy tournament on Friday, let's, let's loosen up the wheels a little bit uh, before we, we dive into some Ivy talk. So we've got Penn state taking on Michigan in the big 10 semifinals. What a bounce back year for Penn state. Um, I was, I was ready to write them off as a program uh, in February. I thought that after the year that they had last, year that they were going to be done um but penn state having a great bounce back year they finished first in the in the big 10 they'll be 
taking on Michigan, who, what a year. What a year from the Wolverines. Uh, Michigan taking down Ohio State in the Big Ten quarterfinals. So the first time that these two teams played, this was back uh, only a couple weeks ago, April 16th. Uh, Penn State was able to squeak out a, a nice, greasy 11-9 win. So it was a tight game in the middle of April. I'd expect a pretty tight game here. Um, I'll tell you what, as, as we're talking about these games, I'll see if uh, if our good friend Chris Yastrzemski has, has brought up any um, – if you were to think about it, if, if a team could potentially win by a few goals here and there, not that, you know, you'd put any money on it because you can't put any money on it anywhere because it's not available in the Barstool Sportsbook, but you know, just some friendly wagers with your friends. Uh, but yeah, Penn state, Michigan starting this thing off. Uh, let, let's, let's Larkin. Why, why don't we jump right into it? Yeah, let's do it I, quickly. I, I want to reference the last time I was on this podcast about a year ago, I, I think we talked about Tambroni and Millman as the two hottest seats in college lacrosse. Um, so I give a ton of credit. I give a ton of credit to those coaching rooms. The turnaround has been remarkable. I think, you know, people don't realize how hard it is culturally to flip from losing to winning, convincing those 45 guys that you're good enough. Um, so really, really strong year, um, across the board, Penn state did very well in the Ivy ton of respect for them. I think they're going to be a tough outcome. May. um, in terms of this game and quickly, you know, back to kind of the qualitative considerations, there is nothing better for the sport of lacrosse than if Michigan gets good. Michigan beating Ohio State twice in two weeks, um, getting to a level of competition. I still think there's another gear. I still think that they should be Memorial Day quality when you think about the resources at that school and the, the kids who want to go there. But in terms of the game, I, I watched the full game in round one. Um, candidly, I, it was a toss-up. Basically, that that kind of short righty from Penn State just went full hero ball in the fourth quarter, and, and Michigan just started running into a, into a wall. I think from a gambling perspective, it's a toss up. I think the clamping edge slightly I give to Penn State. And I think the coaching edge, in my opinion, Tambroni's earned it. Um, so, you know, a huge piece of this entire board that we should all be thinking about is anytime a team's meet for the second time in less than four weeks, exact same roster, exact same game plan. Typically, the staff that can tinker and adjust, um, especially with openers and set piece offense, and then man up, man down. That's typically the difference in the game. So I, I like Penn State here. Um, I like them, you know, 14-12, but I think it's going to be a great lacrosse game. And the, and the Big Ten in general, it's going to be a hell of a weekend. Love that. Dukes, your, your thoughts on Nittany Lions and Wolverines. I, I mean, I, I just – can I just say real quick, I, I do – I love these Big Ten matchups that are that are big football <laughs> matchups. Like, it just get, gets the juices flowing a little bit more. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. I saw Michigan play against Hofstra when I went on to a little trip up to Ann Arbor. Cold as shit with Hunter Dickinson, not to brag. But Michigan is not the team that I saw play against the Hofstra Pride. This team is buzzing. This team is grooving. Um, I love that attack on Michael Baum. Um, I also love to watch Aiden Muhammad play, watch him play in Manhasset uh, through the past couple of years. He's like now a sophomore. So I like the way the Michigan is playing. Uh, I like their face-off unit. I think Danny Rusty touched on that a little bit, saying that they have one of the uh, – most formidable groups, uh, one, two punches in the country. Uh, I agree with that. I also think Cornell is right there. Just want to toss that, uh, that, that group into them, uh, into the discussion. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to roll with, uh, Michigan. Uh, again, I think like you said a couple weeks ago, Jordy, I think Johns Hopkins and Penn state have good stories. I think they're right there on the four or five conversation, but I also think they're very beatable. And I think Michigan's in a great spot to upset them. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I agree totally. Uh, I, I've said before that Michigan was one of the best. I said that they're the best 6-6 six and six team that we've ever seen in lacrosse history. I'm now willing to say that they're one of the best 7-6 and six teams that we've ever seen. I mean, you look at what they've done over the past – at, at least like month and a half. Like they, aside from, I, they got pumped by Notre Dame, but like, so do plenty yeah, so of other teams. So does Cleveland State. Uh, well, well, yeah, but Virginia doesn't. But we, yeah, can, but we also, can talk about But nudes, nudes turns into fucking uh, Nico Amato 2012 when he plays yeah. against. Uh, well, yeah, we, like, we, 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 can, we can talk about that later. But aside from getting pumped by Notre Dame, um, they've either won or have been very tight in every game that they've played so far. So they are a team where like you have to come out and like you have to expect that you're going to get their best punch. Their best punch is very good. And then you have to have someone who can counter that and react. Um, and kind of like what Larkin said, where, you know, you have a guy, Penn state has a guy like a Jack trainer, um, very underrated in, in the country and has the ability to really take over a game. Um, probably cause he's a Philly guy, just, just a good hard nosed guy who gets to the greasy areas, isn't afraid to take a hit to make a play. Um, so I, I, I like Penn state in this one, just because I, I feel like, I feel like they know that they need this bounce back year, right? I, I feel like last year was a, a big embarrassment year for all of them. I think that right now Michigan is flying probably pretty high, um, playing at, at a level that I don't think that many people thought that they would be at, probably picked last um, to finish last in, in the Big Ten. So I feel like Michigan right now, not that they're comfortable with where they're at, but they're, they've gotten to a point where they're pretty solid. Um, Penn State knows that they need to, to do a little bit of damage here in the Big Ten um, tournament, especially if they have hopes for later in May. So I like Penn State in that one, but yeah, going to be a great game. Uh, and then following that up, we've got the 330 game. Uh, kind of wish that this one went a little bit later, get, get a little bit of under the lights action to, to close this one out in the fourth quarter. But at 330, we've got Hopkins taking on Maryland uh, rematch of the rivalry. Uh, last time that these two teams played, obviously everybody knows back on April 22nd where Hopkins uh, was able to, to get that 12, 11 win Russell Melendez, sick bastard, sick goal. Uh, so Hopkins took down Maryland in, in the regular season, Maryland, they just got done. They, they took care of business against Rutgers probably looked a little bit closer on the score than it actually was. Uh, Maryland, not the juggernaut that we've seen over the past couple of years. Uh, but this we're heading into their, like, the month of May right now still belongs to Maryland. Um, so we've got Maryland and Hopkins at 330. Uh, Dukes, let, let's let's go with you as the number one Maryland hater on the internet. Am I still? Because I think that now the season I've turned into the biggest Tillman guy of all time. And I think this is a Tillman yeah. revenge game. I think he's going to – I'm not going to say the playbook, but I'm going to say the rule book. When they talk about coaches being in their bag, going into the playbook, uh, find, finding a treasure in the playbook, I think he's going to find a treasure in the rule book. He's gonna well, his, his rule book is on an iPad, so he'd have to like flip through the tabs. Yeah, like he downloads the books. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's got he's got a Kindle. He's got he's got yeah, the rule book on the Kindle. Yeah, I mean, he's not he's not a boomer. You can't call him that. He's not a boomer. The guy knows technology better than like half these like TikTok generation kids. But uh, yeah, I, I'm gonna roll with Maryland in the bounce back game. Um, look, I, I don't know what it is about Hopkins' makeup. I think Tim Marcel, Marcel, whatever. Great goalie. Russell Melendez is one of my favorite players to watch. I think that Hopkins defense is legit. John Crowley, I could speak for days about him on what I think he's going to do in the sport as a coach, what he did for as a player is astonishing, whatever. But 
I just think that I, I don't know what it is about the Hopkins makeup. I just don't very much trust them to make a run in this tournament, like a serious run. Uh, that defense is really good, but I think this is going to come down to which which team makes the last play. And uh, I'm going to roll with Maryland and bounce back spot. Yeah, I like what I completely agree. I mean, just to restate, I think, you know, the way Belichick for like a decade, you just don't bet against Bill, especially in New England. Um, John Tillman deserves the benefit of the doubt here. I think these teams are like, if you look at them in a vacuum, most people would probably guess they split anyways. So Hopkins won the first matchup. I think, I think Maryland has the motivation and, um, you know, the other thing that shouldn't be discounted and I kind of can kind of speak to this when we went to the tournament in 2015, like there's a little bit of off factor, right? This is not the Paul Rabel Hopkins. Like this team has never played in a game of this magnitude. And when they host ultimately in the first round, there will be a little bit of like deer in the headlights first time playing in the NCAA. So I, I, I like, um, I like Maryland fairly large, actually. I think they cover and, I, to be candid, though, I actually think that probably is best case for Millman because he can kind of regalvanize the group coming off a loss, focus on the NCAA tournament, um, and potentially make a run. So I, I actually think just to play both sides of the fence, if you're a Hopkins fan, I think you ultimately want them to lose this game, come back down to earth a little bit, and stay hungry. Um, but, yeah, I, I like Maryland. Roll. You know, going off that, uh, Lorcan, I actually have a question for you as like a player – probably been in this spot because I think that when with Brown I mean I'm sure that you guys were one of the first teams that you know really like ho- probably did you guys host a tournament game you had yeah, to, we, right? yeah, yeah we rolled we actually beat the crap out of Johns Hopkins so I mean <laughs> as you have that perspective as you have that pretty <laughs> as you have that perspective of like oh that, that like that's a that could be a good loss for Hopkins do you think any Hopkins players are thinking about that right now? Like, does that cross your mind at well, all? I certainly hope not. As an athlete, you got to be binary, right? Like, you yeah. literally got to be looking at the, the issue in front of you. But I, but I do think, like, if you look at their schedule, they have a ton of close results that if you flip them, right, like the season kind of flips on its head. Yeah. Um, like, they were in some battles. And what I mean by that is it's, it's not as if they're the Virginians of the world where they're blowing out good teams. I mean, they could play a team that's somewhere from 20 to 40 in the RPI. It's like a one-to-two-goal game, and it's a dogfight. So what they really need as a room is like they need to kind of have that chip on the shoulder of, you know, we're bringing Hopkins back and and, and we need to stay together and play good defense and all those different things. But, I mean, listen, John Tillman, he, he does not mess around in May when you think about adjustments and when you think about how athletic their defense is, like I'm not putting my wallet against that Brett McCarr guy. That guy's like yeah. a lunatic in a good way, right? He's got some Ray Lewis vibes to him. Um, so I, I – Besides you know, I, murdering somebody, but yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but, but it's going to be a fantastic atmosphere. I mean, back to that Penn state Michigan thing, like this is, this is what lacrosse needs, right? It, it needs a relevant Hopkins, you know, it, it needs a relevant Michigan and that's how, that's what leads to media impressions and engagement and subscribers and all the different things that'll drive uh, value to, to our sport that we love. So this is going to be great. I got this circled. I'll, I'll watch it. No question. I mean that right there. That that's the big brain of Larkin Kemp that we were that we were hoping for. A guy who sees the big picture in the game, right? This is a great weekend of lacrosse, but he sees even into the future with this with the media impressions, just growing the game. Um, yeah, I mean, I th- I think it's it's a great point where you know Hopkins is playing a ton of close games, and you could easily flip the scores of them, and, and things would be a little bit different. But I think. Like really what that said, like I, I just been really, really impressed. I think a lot of people have been impressed with what Hopkins has been able to do as a defensive team this year. Like they don't give up a ton of goals aside from when they played against Virginia, which again, another thing where a lot of teams give up a lot of goals to Virginia. Um, so, you know, no matter what their defense is going to keep them in games and 
you know, their offense is going to do just enough to, to come out on top of those <clears throat> games, at least a lot of them. Um, so it will be very interesting to see, you know, like Maryland, we, we've said it plenty of times so far this year. Like they don't have that one guy on offense that we've been just accustomed to seeing them have uh, for so many years. So uh, listen, it, it, it's the month of May. So anyone can step up here and become that guy. And Maryland can ride him for that month, uh, whether it's Braden Erksa. Uh, we saw both of the, the Dannys have big, uh, big weeks last week against Rutgers with Danny Kelly and Danny Maltz. Um, I mean, Kyle Long is, is going to be able to draw slides and, and get some good looks. So if somebody steps up there for that Maryland offense, then I feel really comfortable in Maryland winning this one. Um, but if they're still trying to figure out like who's really going to step up and who they're going to ride for the month of May, I think that that Hopkins defense is enough to clamp it down just long enough to, to give Hopkins uh, a real good shot at this one. So yeah, again, I'm I'm not gonna bet against Maryland in May until they prove that I can't. Um, so I'm gonna go with Maryland in this one, but it's it's as much of a toss up as as you can find here. Um, I do actually want to ask one question, and you know what? I'll probably ask this about each of the uh, individual uh, conference tournaments, but like, do, do you see this as a must win game to get into the tournament for either of these teams, or do you think regardless you lose this one, you're in the tournament? I think, I think as of now, because of the strength of their RPI, remember the argument last year we had around the Ivies and heading into the conference tournament, how they were kind of floating in the five to 10 range in the RPI, the, the nature of where Hopkins currently sits, I think it's like four or five and Maryland's right behind them. Really the losing, it doesn't on a net basis, it doesn't really impact where you stand. So I think it will impact seating. Seating is critically important this year to avoid the one, eight game, right. To avoid the two, seven game and to kind of like really where you want to be. So let's put this succinctly. Johns Hopkins is in an incredible position to be the four or the five seed in the tournament. If they win against Maryland, in my mind, they lock that up, which means the first moment they would see one of the big three would be the semis. So no question it matters. So if if you're looking for bulletin board material, I think we can all agree avoiding Lars or whoever it is in the quarters is a pretty good reason. Um, But no, I think both teams are in. I think both teams actually will host. Love it. Um, all right, let's let's move on over into the uh, let's let's make a jump in the day. Let's let's go to the Big East semifinals. So this one gets going uh, later on at night. So we've got uh, starting off at six thirty p.m. We've got the number one team in the Big East, the Georgetown Hoyas, back from the dead. Tough start for the Hoyas, but they figured it out along the way. Uh, Georgetown, they will be uh, hosting Providence. Providence comes in. It was in great, great first year for, for Bobby Benson taking over Providence. I think that this is uh, this is just a, a sign of things to come for the Friars, Dukes. I know that you're you're real friared up yep. about this one. Um, I don't see this being the game that you know they they ultimately win and and really get themselves back into the into the mix for the Big East. Uh, but how how do we feel about Georgetown versus Prov uh, Dukes? We'll, we'll go with you. Look, I I think that this is um, this is going to be the stepping stone for Providence's dynasty that's coming in a few years. Um, I, I I we we do a little bit of a bit about how like Providence is going to come back, be back, whatever. I think Providence at least keeps this interesting. First, first time that they played this year, it was a 13 11 yes. final. Um, and that was the beginning of April. So, uh, I think that Providence at least keeps this interesting. Um, I again, I'm, I'm a big don't fight, don't fight anybody that has nothing to lose. Providence has nothing to lose. Is, is Georgetown like 
I, I think Georgetown's fine, but could you make the argument that Georgetown needs this win? They definitely need it. Like they're, I don't think they're they're uh, a shoe in automatic qualifier. I'd still put them in, but this would be a bad loss. Tech, like tech, I, I wouldn't call it a bad loss. A loss of Providence is not a bad loss, but you could make the argument that it's a bad loss. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's yeah, definitely I, it's yeah. anything outside of the top twenty in RPI is definitely. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But we're, like, not, we're not throwing shots. But yeah, we're not we're not throwing shots. But like you know, when you're talking about the program that's next up, is it a bad loss really? <laughs> when you're going against Bobby Benson, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, I think Georgetown really needs this one. I think Providence keeps it close. Uh, I think that if this is going in one goal game going into the fourth quarter, less than two minutes to go, I, I would not want to be Georgetown. Um, as we know, Tucker Dordovic uh, hasn't really stepped up in those big moments in the beginning of the season. An example, beginning of the season when uh, like th- those overtime losses, uh, fourth quarter losses. So I don't know. Uh, I, fuck it. I'm saying Providence wins. I'm saying Providence wins. Wow. Love that. I, 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 I just, I just knew if the I recruits, st- the recruits are going to start flipping to Providence, baby. I, going I, to knew, I knew that if I just stood back here and didn't say anything and just let you keep going and going, that you'd eventually talk yourself into it, and and you did. All right, let's get. I think it's the start of the Bobby Benson generation. This is not. You look, Chris Gabriella's generation is done. This is a new generation. Bobby Benson, they got their guy in Friartown, and I, I think he's going to take him to the promised land, which is probably a round one tournament loss. Larkin, your, your your thoughts on Georgetown and Providence? I know uh, I know you've got a, a, a contemporary yeah, I mean, yeah, just, down in Georgetown with Jack Rowlett, kind of helping out with that defense there. Two guys just really know what to do with the ball in their long stick. So uh, your your thoughts on? I mean, this to one. come back to Planet Earth a little bit, like Duke's statements about the long term prognosis of Providence College as an athletic department and and lacrosse. That's all fair, right? Nate Lehman on the hockey side has shown that and done that. They have the resources and the funding. Um, but there's just nothing to justify the take on film this year. Providence is still rebuilding and working through some growing pains. I actually thought, to your credit, Dukes, Providence's best game of the year was against Georgetown. I think what makes this one interesting is, and and I kind of, you know, in talking to, to people in the to, to coaches and Kerwin and guys like that, I the second Georgetown was 0-3, I think the question became, you know, they realistically were probably always going to backdoor their way into the tournament through the Big East. Um, and, and would they find their ceiling, right? There's so many new pieces down there, especially on the offensive end. You know, they've been so aggressive in the transfer portal. Like, could they put it together? Um, and I don't, I don't think I've really seen it on film. I think they have another gear. I think their ceiling's high. So my kind of spin zone on this game, just as something to monitor this weekend and whether Georgetown can get out, is Georgetown, to me, is the unseeded team that you don't want to see in the first round. They have the most kind of dangerous depth and, and high-level offense. Um so, like, if you're a Yale or a Penn who who may host in the eight position, like, Georgetown's a really, really tough draw. Um, so, I'm more just going to monitor it. In terms of the game, I think Georgetown rolls. I don't know what the spread is, so I, I don't – I can't say whether Providence will cover, but I think Georgetown wins big. I then think it hopefully sets up a Bill Tierney kind of legacy game in the finals, whether the boys can pull one out for arguably the greatest coach to ever do it because, um, you know, he, he deserves to be back in the tournament. So, so that, that's kind of where my head's at on the Big East, if, that, if that's fair. Yeah. Um, to, to go on that, I mean, this is, it, it's been a bit of it. It's been a bit on this show, uh, but also there's a, there's a lot of truth to it. It seems like where over the years, you know, Denver not winning the Big East tournament, is it Bill Tierney throwing the tournament so that they can get, they're already going to have an, an, uh, an at large bid, maybe give someone else another, you know, automatic qualifier there and maybe water down the tournament a little bit with more big East teams. I think that Bill Tierney has, he's probably cultivated so much goodwill 
throughout the Big East with losing those Big East championship games where he might have a, a favor to be returned to him uh, coming up later this weekend when we do get that uh, Denver-Georgetown final in the Big East championship because uh, after the George after Georgetown takes down Providence, sorry, Dukes, um, at 6.30, at 9.30 p.m. So this is one where make, make sure you've got a, an, another pot of coffee on uh, for, for a late-night Thursday showdown with Denver taking on Villanova uh, 9.30 p.m. on Thursday. Uh, these two teams, they also played that same weekend that Georgetown and Providence played, and it was Denver doubling up Nova 12-6. to 6. Uh, I, I see this probably being a little bit tighter, but I, I just don't see the Big East coming down to any two teams besides uh, Denver and Georgetown. Any, any disagreements there besides Dukes, obviously, with Prov? Uh, yeah, I actually think Villanova pulled that one off. I'm, I think I'm a, I'm a Villanova guy. Um, I, I think that matchup uh, between uh, D. Benedetto and Campbell is going to be very interesting to watch. Um, again, I, I really th- – there's something about Matt Campbell's game that I, I can't get my eyes off him. Uh, I, th- I think he's one of the most underrated players in college across, and when he goes to the PLL, everybody's going to know his name. Um, New Jersey kid, uh, one of – can have the ball in a stick very well off ball. Um, and then look, the, Justin, Justin Gapola from Villanova. Villanova's all-time leading face-off wins, all-time leader in ground balls. Senior year, um, probably fighting for maybe a roster spot. Come PLL camp, probably won't get drafted, but might get an invite to camp. I think, I think he's going to show out. Uh, look, I think Villanova – I think, I think there's Disney Channel movies, there's Cinderella stories, but not everyone gets them, and I don't think Bill Tooney's going to get his – Come Friday night. Wow, that was pretty catchy. Well done. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Larkin, you got a chance to see Villanova probably pretty up close and personal because Brown yeah. played them uh, earlier this year. So Yeah, and- watching what's on film, man. I, mean, I, I think Nova is kind of like a lightning in the bottle team. Like their their ceiling's high. Their floor is also low. They're not particularly put together on the back end, so they need saves and clamps. But to, to Dukes' credit, I, I think it's a toss-up game. Um, I do want to take this opportunity to talk about Bill Tierney for a second, if that's okay. Yeah. I think that – the reality of the social media and like media era that we now live in, right. Is that people view the TV window in the way in which they gauge coaching success as everyone knows the big names, right. Cause now you can watch on ESPNU. So it's the, the, the Nowskis, the Descos, the Petros, the Tillmans who have these colossal brands and profiles all to themselves. Like people don't really realize what Bill Tierney did at Princeton, a place that's incredibly difficult to recruit and develop kids because of how hard it is academically, how good he was. If you look at the late eighties, early nineties, like they did not lose ever. I think he won like six in nine years um, and doing it at a tough place. And then to, to build that team and that program and then decide to like, basically, you know, for, for personal reasons and he's spoken about it, but to literally just pick a school on a map and say, listen, I'm going to take this footprint. We're going to play great tough defense. or we're going to go recruit really skilled players and just take it to Denver and win overnight is like, it's so impressive. Like to me, Tom Osborne, is the greatest football coach that no one's ever heard of. I'm a Nebraska fan, but a lot of people would, you know, basically not be able to put his numbers up against the Sabins and the whoever's like Bill Tierney is as good as it gets. And I hope he, he gets the send off from this game that he deserves because what he did at two places, that's not particularly easy to win will never be matched. Like put another way, right. Think about Lars guy. Who's going to be at my wedding is a friend of mine. He had to leave Brown to go to a place like Virginia to win a natty. Right. So Bill Tierney never having Hopkins, Duke, Notre Dame, Syracuse, right? And to fill his closet with rings, it is so impressive. Like he is, it, it is remarkable and, and it'll never be matched. 
So all, all the credit in the world to him and hope he enjoys retirement. I think that was very well said. I think that's why we bring this guy on the pod. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think Bill Tierney in my eyes is the, uh, the best coach of all time. I also love those old clips. I don't know if you guys seen these like circulate on lacrosse Twitter at all, but from his Princeton days, just berating the refs. And when you were talking about the Desco's getting their shine or whatever, like I do wonder was his, like I'm too young to really remember his Princeton days. Cause like, I, re- I remember when he left for Denver is huge news, but when he was on TV was, and like, was he kind of like this big personality on the sidelines? Being it, it just was a, it was a different era in viewership, right? Like when you think yeah. about linear and the availability of streaming and how easy it is to connect, right? You open your cell phone and there we are, we're watching all these games that might work, but I'm watching the games. Like that just wasn't really a thing. These personalities and the coaching side of it wasn't really built up yet. So to me, that's why if you went to like a high school right now and asked the kid to practice, who are the greatest? It's all the people that currently coach at the big blue blood schools, right? Like they don't even think about some of the old, the old salts who got it done at that level. But, um, that's kind of where, and by the way, that's in all sports. What, what I always tell people about Bill Tierney, so this is playoff hockey season. Um, by the way, Philly got called up to Edmonton, which is really exciting. So he's on the taxi squad up there. Hopefully they're going to make a cup run here. But um, Bill Tierney, to me, could walk into an NHL locker room and coach an NHL playoff game with zero preparation, and the boys would be, like, on their toes, ready to go. Like, he is a just, like, leader of men who, when you walk, he walks in the room and he tells you to fucking work, like, you work. Like, it's that simple, right? Like, he – anytime you listen to that guy talk, it is all eyes on him, like, full respect. Um, he just galvanizes. He galvanizes. He, remind, he reminds me a lot of John Tortorella. All right. I like I love that. that. Uh, more championships, yeah. though. More championships. Yeah, more championships. <laughs> but if you've ever seen that clip, one of my favorite clips on the internet is when John Tortorella walks into the Columbus Blue Jacket locker room in the bubble when they're about to play the President's uh, trophy winning Tampa Bay Lightning in game one. And he just starts rambling about punching and like punch, punch on your toes, not your heels. Like he just speaks literal nonsense. Yeah. And then they go out and they sweep the lightning. Like that to me is a lot of what Bill Tierney's got. He has some moxie, right? He's nose to the door at D-Day. Like he's leading you off the boat. Pretty cool. He's got, he's got a ton of it. And I, I will say to that point, like with the viewership and, and just like the way that we see these guys and the personality now with the game uh, on, on these broadcasts, I would – I really want to see Denver in the tournament just because I wasn't going to shell out the 150 some odd dollars that it takes to, to watch flow sports this season. Oh, so it, it, it's, it's bullshit, whatever it's business, whatever, but I would like to get a chance just to watch Bill Tierney really just chew into a ref on ESPNU uh, come, come May. So I I've been missing a lot of that this year. Um, it's a shame, but uh, yeah, well, Really quick. Probably, probably could have wrote it off as an expense, but go ahead, Dukes. I was going to say, maybe, maybe, because we don't know if we're going to have this episode, this hypothetical, but maybe we'll have Larkin back on for a quick, maybe bonus episode where, where we snake draft Bill Tierney's best moments or best games. Refs are legitimately scared of him. Like, like <laughs> yeah. refs run the other direction. Like, he is a. They, they earn a lot of it. He makes uh, eye contact with you, and the ref, like, basically collapses. Panic attack. Little, yeah. Little, little, little piss streaming down the leg. Um, all right. Well, let's. Uh, all right. So let's wrap up Thursday real quick with just a, a couple games where, um, I mean, these ones are really like you have to survive if you want to get into the tournament. The CAA semifinals. Uh, Delaware putting together a, a pretty strong season, although they did just fall uh, to Towson this past weekend. And funny enough, they'll be playing Towson in the CAA semifinals. That's at 5.30 uh, on Thursday. And at 8.30 on Thursday night, we've got Drexel taking on Stony Brook. So um, 
So Delaware, one seed, Drexel, two seed. Uh, any, any thoughts on these games as we enter the CAA semifinals? Uh, Drexel, they, they pulled out a one-goal win over Stony Brook back in the uh, beginning of April. So, uh, I mean, as, as a Philly guy, I, I feel like, dude, this is, this is a big one for us. I feel like this has to be the game, right? Philly versus, Philly versus Long Island. Um, so that's all, all eyes on Drexel versus Stony Brook at 8.30 p.m. on Thursday. Got to ride with my Philly boys. Yeah, I think Philly too. Uh, yeah. Uh, Steve Boyle is a dear friend of mine, so I'm taking Drexel. I think Delaware beats Towson. But I, I would say I'd put this in the Patriot League in the bucket of like, I have no idea what's going to happen. It's going to be a dogfight. This is just old school, almost high school quality lacrosse in the sense of they're, they're all kind of good. None of them are fantastic, right? It's it's like who can make a play, who can stay out of the box. Like it's just going to come down to, to, to grown men making plays. So I, you know, if I had to gamble it, I guess Delaware is coming out. But Sean Natalins not a guy you want to face. Like he's a scary brother. Um, Towson has underperformed objectively. I think everyone would agree, including them. So could they upset? Maybe I'm not sure, but I I think, you know, not having watched a ton of CAA this year, I think Delaware cruises, but we'll see. Yeah. Dude, did did you just say that you're, you're rolling with Philly over Long Island? I'm a Hofstra guy, not a Stony Brook guy. There's two two types of Long Island. Oh, there's, there's beef there. I would say there's a little bit of beef. I mean, there, there's you're either a Hofstra guy or you're a Stony Brook guy. Well, it's probably it's probably not beef. It's probably chicken parm. But uh, yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> I see what you did that because the Italians yeah. on Long Island. Yeah, Gavagool. Um, all right, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I love Delaware. Been in love with Delaware all year. It's not like they have any crazy wins on their resume, but uh, big big fan of them down there. Um, yeah, I like Delaware and Drexel in that one. And here we go. The whole reason why everyone's here to listen to the show, besides getting into the Dylan Malloy bachelor party itinerary later on in the episode, but the Ivy League semifinals, things get underway on Friday night. Nice little Friday to close out the happy hour session. Friday at 6 p.m., we've got number one Cornell. Uh, Cornell just just battling all season long to, to prove that last year being in the in the final four wasn't anywhere near a fluke uh, Cornell very much deserving to be in that top tier of teams this year. Cornell will be taking on Yale Yale, obviously getting themselves into the tournament after taking care of business against Harvard uh, in that final game of the season. The last time that these two teams played though, uh, I mean, Cornell caught Yale at their absolute worst, uh, doubled them up 20 to 10. Uh, Yale ended up losing the next game by 12. So it was a, it was a brutal uh, March for Yale, but they're finally starting to piece things a little bit back together. Cornell just been a juggernaut all year. Larkin, obviously we, we got to stay with you and, and you know what? We, we can take this anywhere you want with, with the Ivy league. So we can talk, we can well, talk. It, Ivy it, league as a know, whole. One of the reasons I wanted to come on, can I do my Brown soliloquy just y'all Let's. for a second? Um, and then I'm happy to get into the Ivy league tournament. I, I do think it'll be a great weekend and uh, hopefully we can keep building the brand that is Ivy league lacrosse. But I, I think so. You know, I haven't really public, uh, publicly commented, obviously, on everything that went down in the early season. I think that, you know, what I want to do now is kind of speak directly to recruits and, and to the to the nation around, like, what happened, what is happening at Brown, where I th- see things going. What I can say is that those kids didn't deserve to be put in that spotlight. Like, what actually occurred, we won't get into, but those are good kids. Those are kids I would let take my sister to dinner. Like, it's those are great people who don't, you know, deserve to have their name public, you know, publicly commented on it by the inside of the cross of the world. Um, you know, to, re- to recruits, we are doing everything we can top down, bottom up, 
to make sure nothing like that ever happens again. Brown is still an incredible place to go to college. I, I wouldn't change a thing for the world. Like when I talk to kids and, you know, it's, I think it's the best combination of academic social life, uh, lacrosse success, and ultimately like professional development that you can get. It's the perfect basically symbiosis of like what I would look for um, if I was a, a sophomore in high school. So, you know, in, in terms of the suspension stuff, it's ridiculous. There are only four buckets of punishment, in my opinion, that should rise to that level of not being able to represent your school. It's violent crimes. It's direct, basically breaking of the honor code. It's mistreating a woman. And then there's like a miscellaneous bucket for like really, really bad alternative criminal offenses. This was literally nothing. These are kids. Um, whether you believe in the new era, the PC nonsense, wherever you fall on the political spectrum, I think we can all agree that like 18 to 22 year olds don't deserve to have like their life impacted by anything that has to do with like a beer can. Like it's really that simple. Um, and it's just really sad. Like I don't, there's really nothing else to say. It's just a really sad situation. So, um, what I can tell the recruits is that the coaches had nothing to do with that. There's some bad actors they're being dealt with. Um, the AD is fully aligned and, um, I love Brown. I'm a Homer, but I also believe in Brown. Like I believe in Mike, I know where it's heading and, um, they, they dealt with a lot this year. So now to speak to the team, like, I don't think people really realize the type of adversity that that is, right. It breaks up the room. The seniors are gone where are your leaders, it just creates a little bit of friction. And if you look at the high end, like what I would talk to a kid is currently committed. We beat Villanova. We beat Penn. Those are two good teams. Like we jumped out to leads against some other good teams. You know, we just weren't able to put it together structurally. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with just like chemistry and things like that. And, you know, we lost some things from last year, but listen, we don't make excuses of Brown. Mike is, <clears throat> he's never been that way. Um, he would want me to come on here and, and say it's an abject failure and say that we got to be better. So we will be better. I hope everyone who's committed stays committed. I hope we go out and get great players in the transfer portal. And, you know, when I was looking at college, like I had some other opportunities and, you know, Brown was struggling when I was in high school and I looked at it as like, I can go in, I think I'm good enough to play. I can go in as a freshman. If I'm good enough, I can start, I can like build a career and a brand. And that's what I was able to do. Um, so I hope that that's how high school kids look at it. I hope they look at it as like, they're not that far. Um, let's go be the pole who takes us over the top, right? Let's go be the guy. So that's my stance on Brown. It really, really hard year. And uh, most of all, feel for the families impacted, feel for the kids. Um, and we, as an alumni base, will never allow it to happen again. That's just a fact. So um, in terms of the tournament, Cornell at six, Penn Princeton at 830, starting with Cornell Yale. This is the worst defense Andy Shea's ever had. He won't say that publicly, but it is stunning how much they've lost their defensive identity. They're not great on ball. They're not great on the high fill. Um, <coughs> the hallmark of Yale for about seven years was slide recovery. They basically would hedge front pipe. They'd go if they had to, the big guys, the guys like Hamley, the guys like Malloy. Otherwise, it's basically a second slide defense. Um, what I mean by that is not the first point of attack, the second to the backside. And then it's they get heavy both ways and their sticks are good. Yale's always been rock solid on the back end. They're not this year. Yes, are they playing better? But they've really beaten worse teams. That's a self-chirp, unfortunately, because of where we fell on the schedule. But like the three teams – that you could argue have the high end upside on offense. They got rolled by all three of them really um, this year. So I don't see really any reason to think this weekend will be different. Andy Shea is a hell of a coach. He's had a ton of success in the Ivy league tournament. Do I think that he'll keep it closer? I think Cornell the first time in new Haven was like 23, 10. Do I think it'll be like that? Absolutely not. I think it'll be, you know, 15, 13 or 16, 12. Um, but CJ curse, the best player on the field. I think Jordan Stevens has Cornell's defense. 
Gavin Adler's as good a lefty on film as I've seen. I think he'll eat up Brandau um, or at least make it a really challenging matchup. So I, I just, when you put all the pieces together, yes. Do you want to fall in love with this notion of a late May run by Andy Shea and the Ivy league tournament and all the things that he's done historically? Sure. I guess, but there's just no justification on film. Who's Yale beaten recently, right? It's like Albany, Dartmouth Brown, unfortunately, like that's just the truth. So I think Cornell rolls, um, especially if they're winning clamps. Penn Princeton's the interesting one, and here's why. Princeton has the opportunity, in my in my opinion, to steal a bid. They are the team I'd circle as they're currently whatever, like seven and six, six and seven. They are good enough to sneak by Penn and upset Cornell, I think. Penn, as you know, most brackets currently have it, if they were to beat Princeton and lose to Cornell in the final, both Cornell and Penn would be into the tournament. Cornell with a seeded bid, Penn probably on the road. Um I think what all teams in the top 10 of the RPI are hoping is that Princeton loses on, on Friday night. But if they were to win, I think it introduces some really interesting math into the, the idea of if Cornell loses on Sunday, um, kind of what that means. Because I do think Mackesy, young kid from Brunswick, I like. I think the Princeton offense has enough pieces. Um, and they're fairly athletic on defense. Ryan Finley was a dear friend of mine. He played at Brown with me. His younger brother, Ben Finley, super solid on the back end. He's going to grind on Kirst. Um so that, to me, is like the interesting one. In terms of the matchup, Penn-Princeton, Penn just hasn't gotten a go in this year. They have so many good pieces, right? Like when you look at Penn on film, it literally looks like it's like the Alabama football locker room of tight ends. It's like Hanley. That number nine is ginormous. Like they're, yeah. they're big, they're athletic, they're strong. They have the look of an ACC downhill hill group. But like when you actually turn on the film, they aren't particularly cohesive. A lot of times Sam has to kind of force things late in the clock, which is unfair to him. Um, he – plays a lot of like Carmelo ball where he's kind of almost on an ISO Island um, and they're not winning clamps. They're not winning clamps at a rate that makes me think they can kind of make a deep may run. But in terms of this game, I think it's a toss up, right? Tyler Sandoval, the, the Prince and Fogo is out. So the Fogo battle should be pretty even, um, you know, two inexperienced goalies um, defensive advantage, like in terms of skill, like ISO skill, I think Penn has slightly better poles, but in terms of cohesion, I think they're fairly comparable. Um, so I think this is going to be a dogfight. I, I see it as like 17, 16. I think it'll be great television. Um, and I'm going to go with Princeton just for the, the sake that I think it makes the Sunday game more interesting. I think the, the steal a bid concept becomes a lot more compelling for the Ivy league. But I mean, listen to, to pull the rope and rally the boats here, the Ivy league remains an incredible place to play the cross, right? We're going to, everyone was like the Ivy's dead. The Ivy is getting three teams into the tournament. A lot of people think so. Like, I don't know where that's coming from, even though all the early season stuff went the other direction. A lot of people still have Yale in. So, um, you know, it's the best education on the planet. It's super high level across. I mean, it's the Mecca sports in New York this weekend. Ho hopefully it'll be a good environment. I hope people go out to Columbia, a hard place to get to, but once you're there, it's great lacrosse. Um, but yeah, happy to answer any questions that you guys see from the games. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I would say the the one thing that I don't really, I, I mean, I, I guess yeah, if Princeton wins this game on on Friday, I can see the argument for Ivy being a three team league. Um, I mean, do but like I guess the, the well, same it's, Penn, it's Penn, Yale, Cornell, right? Those are the three currently. So, so if, Penn, if Penn loses, I actually think Penn goes to bubble and North Carolina has a stronger argument potentially. And then it's like two bids unless Princeton beats Cornell. Then it so goes th back. Th this is, this is just where I, so I'm not an RPI guy. 
Deuce is the RPI guy on on this podcast. Like, I just don't understand how. Um, listen, the the whole world right now is is so afraid of artificial intelligence, right? Everyone's like, Chat GPT is going to take over everyone's jobs. AI is is going to ruin humanity. And the fact that there's a computer that's telling us that Yale deserves to be in the tournament after the season that they have, like that, just doesn't make sense to me. That that Yale's a top 20 team, that Yale's in the tournament. Um, I mean, you look at just what they've done this year. Like, yeah, they, I mean, I, I mean, they, they beat, they beat Denver, right? So they beat Denver. Denver. And so Yale's the perfect example. They just didn't lose to anyone bad. So their math is getting bumped a little bit. They, but they like, and, no but like and, and then that right there, like, that's why I just hate the computers because they didn't lose to anyone bad. Right. But like the fact that they got fucking spanked by Cornell, the fact that they got fucking spanked by Princeton, yet they're not losing to bad teams, but those were still bad losses. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. It should and, take and, and, account and that's, some of those. Like, that's why I, I just, I so think I, if, if you, if you had people with, if you had common sense, Yale's not a top 20 team. The the computer doesn't have common sense. I, I, was, an candid, I was stunned when I saw Yale in the top 10 of the committee because to me, to all the qualitative considerations you're talking about, Jordy, of how they lost to those teams, Yale, to me, if they're in, they have to travel. Like I can't imagine a world where they're hosting just based on the season they've had, getting run over by two of their league rivals. Um, so I think like on a head-to-head basis because Penn beat Yale – like, I don't really see how Penn is not in the top 10 of the committee and Yale is, right? So I, I agree with you on the Yale piece. I also hate Yale. So, like, anything to, to bump them out of this tournament would be fantastic. Um, but, I, you know, I for, for all the people who are, you know, negative Yale guys, they have lost a little bit of their defensive identity. So more on a long-term basis, like, they need to fix that, that back end. Um, or they will continue to kind of remember they were in the natty three years or four years ago, won the natty five years ago. Like, you know, so it's, there's definitely some concerns up in New Haven. I think. Yeah. I, um, I, I do. I do love the Princeton take. I, I would love to see them get this one done. Um, I mean, the last time that these two teams played, it, it was just a one goal game and Princeton. I mean, they, they just got put through a blender in their schedule there. I think they had uh, let's uh, I don't have it up right now, but I'm pretty sure they went through like Georgetown, uh, Georgetown Maryland, Maryland yeah. Rutgers and, and Penn. Like that was just a, a gauntlet uh, part of their of their season. And yeah, I, I like uh, I, I like Princeton to be on upset alert here, especially because I think this is a big this is a big spotlight moment for sam hanley right like right before the although i guess i guess he totally. said that he's going back for another fifth year somewhere else he might train i, I don't know there's if been some reference points to it he, he obviously has eligibility if i were him i'd obviously i'd go get a free nba or something like that yeah uh, so i so it, i mean it might not have that much impact on pll draft status but like the fact is that a lot of people are talking about him in the pll draft big spotlight moment for him and i do feel like he holds on to the ball a little too long in moments like that um and their offense just looks really it stalls out pretty easily when the ball's in his stick too much um really like a guy like james shipley to kind of be a party starter there yeah. uh get the ball to gergar because he he can finish the, so when it gets stuck in his stick a little too long bad things happen um yeah i, I like princeton in this one dukes it looks like you had uh something you were about to say there how many teams does the big east get the, the only the bit really mind. Yeah. Un- unless they, unless Georgetown they, does the thing where unless they, something crazy if they, lose, if they lose, but if Georgetown loses to Denver, do you see 
So Denver gets the AQ. Yeah. You think yeah. that Georgetown's out, or do you think that they get an at-large? Depends what happens elsewhere. I think you're fair. I think Georgetown at that point could be the, one of the last bubble ends. I guess where my head went to the one bid is I actually think Georgetown's going to win that tournament, so I'm not overly concerned about it, but that's fair. I think Georgetown probably would be in over a North Carolina, in over a Penn maybe. Um, yeah, because it's when you look at the RPI, 8 Georgetown, and then 11-12 is Villanova. So like both those Nova-Denver, like right there, if they – yeah, I think for some reason, especially because Nova has that loss to Brown and and others, I, I don't really I see Nova as bubble out. But yeah, if they steal the bid, it's all fair. I, I think yeah. I think honestly, this year is one of those where like the bubble is super blurry because a lot of the teams have bad losses or or just haven't played great quality ball. Right? Like I don't really see North Carolina or Villanova or um, as being you know worthy is probably the word. But but there's no one else. Right? It's back to like yeah. Yale might host like. Yale hasn't had a great year. I think Andy Shea would admit that. Um, so it's it's just kind of a bizarre year where there's three fantastic teams. And then it gets kind of muddy. And then it gets even muddier. It's just like mm-hmm. chaos at the bottom. Uh, just on the Ivy League tournament, I guess, in general, uh, I think it's Cornell. I think Cornell is head and shoulders above everybody else. I do like your Princeton take. I think that Princeton can definitely make that game interesting. I think that's a bad matchup for Cornell. It comes down to this for me with Cornell. They made it already last weekend. They, they already had the championship run. The core is still there. Cursed, best player in the Ivy, in my opinion. Uh, like you said, that Adler-Brandau matchup will be uh, fun to watch. I think Adler, I think that Cornell defense just in general, um, they, got, they just got some dogs to them. And I love their specialists. I think when you look at it, Chase Irwin wasn't in love with him last year. I think he's making the argument potentially that he's having the best year out of any goalie in the Ivy League. I know you're a people's goalie guy, obviously, Brown, but – uh, I think Erlen's definitely earning that uh, potential to be the, the goaltender of the year in the Ivy. Paquette for Yale. Like, I think you nailed it with Yale. This is Yale's worst defense, and he's a goalie that needs to be able to have the shots that he wants to see. He's not going to bail you out. He's not that good of a goalie. He's not like an Entenman that can make these ridiculous saves. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Yale's in trouble. I think Cornell's going to come up on top, and I think Cornell – I'm talking about myself, Cornell, more and more every single episode. I think they're a shoo-in. A shoe-in. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say real quick, I, I do think like like 30 years from now, I think that we'll probably end up there, – there will be a podcast out there, and, and this devilishly handsome man in a suit is going to get on the podcast, and he's going to sing the praises just as high as Larkin did for Bill Tierney. Uh, some, someone will probably end up doing the same speech about Connor Busick. Yep. I think Busek's the Yeah, Busek has it going. I mean, so much of coaching guys is like buying from the room. And like regardless of the scheme stuff, like those kids idolize Connor Busek. Like he's a big strapping, like first guy off the bus type of, you know, all-American midfielder. And he's won over the hearts and minds of that. So like that is like variable number one that you try and do as a coach, right? Is that's how you become a leader. And that's ultimately how you build foundation. Um, so he's a problem. I mean, when we think about Brown, like he's a problem. Um, and but we just got to keep building it. But I think the one thing I will say to kind of tie this back into the the broader conference tournaments, um, when you think about the the second group, right? So when you think about Penn State, Hop, Maryland, Cornell, and you think about the seeding implications, all of those teams, you know, want to win, need to win to ultimately try and make the argument that they deserve to be the four seed. Because back to that that you know kind of comment I had to open, a huge piece of May is going to be. Who can avoid right the the Notre Dame Duke UVA in the quarters? Who can get them in the semis? 
get them on tired legs, get them on short rest in terms of you've already played two massive tournament games, maybe some injuries, heat's increasing. You got two games that weekend potentially like right when the clock shrinks and, and the season gets smaller, that's when the upset potential goes up. So I think that is a huge, huge piece of if I was Connor Busick, he, that's what he's saying on the bus down in New York. He's like, fellas, we may be in, but if we want to make a real run at this thing, right, you know, we're going here to win two games. And that's the same exact argument the Tambronis and the Millman should be making as well. Love it. Um, real quick, just to close out Friday. Um, just Yeah. Do you got one, one last remark there or. I just had one. I had one question for both of you. Just really quick. One less than, less than 30 seconds. You're the five seed, right? And you have to pick from your poison, Notre Dame, Virginia, um, fuck, I have five grand. Like who would you want? Yeah, who Notre, you Dame, want? Notre Dame, Virginia, or Duke? Duke? Yeah. Who, do, who are you picking? Uh, or is that just a matchup based on your team? I'm taking Notre Dame. Only reason being the they haven't gotten it done in May argument because I think on paper they're awesome. I think all three are fantastic. They all have challenging pieces to defend. Like you got Shelly, you got O'Neill, you got the Kavanaugh's. Like they're all so tough, you know. So I, I would basically just go with the group that ultimately they play the least games, right? So they're not as tested, just like definitionally, like Corrigan doesn't schedule. We've talked about this at length. And then they've they've been prone to the May upset. So that's who, that's who I'd want. I don't have a better argument than that. So that works. For I'm me. going. I, I'm, uh, I'm going to pick Duke or Virginia just based off the goalies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, UVA they got a hole, they got a hole in that man. That Noons kid has not been great up until he's unless, he's unless, he plays, unless, unless he plays unless he plays against Notre Dame, Notre Dame and then yeah. he's fucking lights out. Yeah. Um, real quick, just to close out Friday, uh, a couple conferences where it might not be as uh, as dialed in with them. So. Uh, we, we got Patriot League semifinals. Those will be Friday at 4 p.m. and 7 p.m. We've got BU taking on Loyola. Uh, Loyola, they took down Navy uh, in the quarterfinals. And then Army, they'll be taking on Lehigh after Lehigh took care of Lafayette in the in the quarterfinals. Uh, we don't have to go in, in depth on these ones, but uh, w- which two teams do you see coming out of the Patriot League semifinal and playing for that championship uh, later on in the weekend? It's, it's a great question. I, I think on paper, Army is the best team there. To be totally candid, though, I also think Army is one of these teams that kind of plays up and plays down. Like, they're just a tough group of cadets, and we're so thankful for their service and their leaders of men, but, like, they're not so skilled that they're going to, like, blow anyone out on, in a playoff game, right? So, um, you know, I, I think BU sneaks through Loyola. I think Army, like, beats Lehigh, like, 10 to 9 in, like, an ugly lacrosse game, and then I think Army escapes against BU, but I – kind of the argument I made about the CAA. Like, I think all these teams are pretty tightly bunched. I think anything can happen. Um, in terms of, like, what you want to see as a lacrosse fan, this is one, and you can make a similar argument about Delaware, but if you want the Patriot League champ to go on the road in round one and, like, play a good game, you want it to be Army. I think Army has the best potential to play a, a Yale, Hopkins, Penn State close, right? I think that BU just hasn't shown enough on the back end. They've had some holes. Um, and I think those other two teams will get rolled. So I think if you're just a casual lacrosse fan who who wants like great first round tournament games and haven't gotten many recently, I think you want Army and you want Delaware with Owen Grant um, kind of in those two conferences. Dukes, you're, you're two winners of these Patriot League semifinal games. BU, Lehigh, BU is going to the tournament. Wow. 
Yeah, I, I also like BU and Lehigh in this one. I, I hate picking against the troops, but too many friends of the program over at Lehigh for me to pick against them. And I, honestly, it is going to be a toss up. I mean, the last time Army and Lehigh played, it was just a twelve to ten final. So this one's this one's anyone's game, and uh, I'm I'm just going to go with the personal bias and take Lehigh in that one. Uh, and then just to wrap it up, the uh, the the A Sun uh, is it Utah's conference to lose um or or do we have uh may, maybe a sneaky bobby mo upset in in the makings here in the a sun dukes okay i got one thing really quick i need to get this i know we're kind of in a rush one utah's got coming out of the a sun uh just give, give me more points give me more goals give me offense just feed me that in may i, I love high-powered offense just watched the warriors last night i, I just i like goals i'm a goal back second when are we gonna have the conversation that jacksonville is the opposite of duke and we talk about February Duke, and now we're talking about Jacksonville just being choke artists in May and April. Um, the, the fact that John Galloway still hasn't played in a tournament game is astonishing for how much lacrosse Twitter and lacrosse media members, like folks like myself, suck this team off. When are we going to talk about them being choke artists? I just want to have a discussion. I just want to put it into the stratosphere. I think it's disgusting for how much we hype up this Jacksonville team, and they haven't even played in a tournament game. They're new, they're new high point. They're, they're, they're the same thing that high point did in those Asher Nolting years where they, they took care of Virginia and Duke. And then they, you drop one, one game in conference and now you're out of the picture again. So I think we're just seeing they're they're I, I feel like people have been saying that they're like on the, on the rise to be like a, a new, like yeah. top tier program. What I think people just need to adjust their, uh, their, their, whatever they think that Jacksonville can be to be just a high point where it's like a good program. You're going to get recruits, but you're just not going to be playing deep into May. These kids are going to have a, a nice long summer break. I thought a son has the potential to be a two big, big league at one point though, mm. rather than a SoCon. That's my one comment on that. But yes, I agree. Uh, I think John Galloway is a better co- coach though. The be- better coach. Uh, that's my take. I like Utah. I also, I'm just going to take like the qualitative argument of we want a Pac-12 quality team that has like revenue generating football and basketball to be in the NCAAs. And we want the ADs of USC and UCLA and Colorado to take notice and want to be a part of it. So, you know, back to the casual fan argument, if you love this game and you want it west of the Rockies, you definitely want Utah over Bellarmine in my opinion. Well- well, I'll, I'll tell you what, that is actually a great way to transition real quick. We're kind of coming a little bit up against it, so we might have to keep this a little bit quick. But speaking of growing the game past the Rockies and speaking of geographical locations, uh, it was just announced today uh, that the PLL will start to transition their way into having geographic-based, uh, city-based Uh, team. So, you know, we've had the touring model for a while. I think that anyone who had half a brain knew that that was only going to be a temporary stopgap while the PLL kind of absorbed the rest of the MLL and eventually could put teams into cities. Uh, So it said that after the 2023 season, so after this summer, uh, teams will start to have city-based affiliations. Now, to be fair, that doesn't mean that they're going to go away from the touring model right away. Like they could just give these teams like a, a, a city-based name and still have the touring model. Could do half the summer touring, half the summer um, in you know uh, having teams having home locations. Uh, but so eight teams right now. I'm just curious to for both of you guys uh, if if there are eight cities off the top of your head that you think make the most sense uh, for the PLL. Larkin, you can go first if you want. Yeah, it's a great question. And, and just as a little bit of a caveat, like I'm not speaking, I have, I have no, you know, I haven't had conversations regarding this with Michael Paul or I'm not speaking from anything that's correlated to work. But um, 
you know, in terms of the PLL stuff, it's not shocking. And here's why, right? There, there's two pieces. One, the cost base, the OPEX of travel is really, really challenged. Like I, you know, work as WWE, I can speak to that. Um, it's very, very hard to go to multiple cities, you know, once a week and do it repeatedly. Um, and then the second would be when you think about like sponsorship potential, when you think about brand activations and growing like season tickets and fan affinity, having, you know, ties to a region, a city um, is the most proven representation of like how to, to get net new fans in the funnel. So it's not shocking. I think Jordy actually made a great call out. We have no information. This is pure speculation. We don't know if they're actually just going to keep touring and it's going to be like the New York Chrome, right? Like we, we, it's too early to know those specifics. Um, cause that could very well be the case. Um, but in terms of cities, there's kind of two filters I'd probably apply. The first would be media markets, right? Cause you want obviously the most extended broadcast reach and potential viewership lift. So it's, you know, I'd be legitimately stunned if there wasn't a New York, a Boston, an Atlanta, um, you know, greater DC, Balti, you could combine into one, um, in terms of like West coast hubs, PLL headquarters in LA, LA is a huge media market. I'd, you know, so that's like one filter. Is that the answer though? Not necessarily. Cause then you need to throw in the filter, obviously of lacrosse fandom brand affinity and like, where are the current hotbeds? Right. So that's where you get more into the arguments around teams we've seen in the past of, you know, the Denver's, the upstates, the Toronto's do some sort of Syracuse action. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, so when you combine all those variables, right, if you want to limit the cost base, it would be do a lot of East coast cities. So you avoid the big, you know, West East flights. Um, but yeah, so th those are, so those are some things that kind of pop into my mind, but I, I will say just to call out like this, I, I really do think it's too early to speculate. I, I don't, um, you know, Mike and Paul have a plan. I'm a huge fan of the PLL. They're my friends first and foremost, but also from a business perspective. And, and the one thing to call out to people who don't like work in this space, when you think about the media rights of the other leagues and the scarcity effect, and the, there's so little that you can go buy if you're one of these fangs, so the Amazons, the apples of the world who are trying to build um, over the top streaming platforms or the traditional aggregators, the Walt Disney Company, my former employer um, or NBCU, like there's, there aren't that many things coming to market, right? The NFL is locked up for long-term, the NBA, all these different things are in these really, really long-term deals. So when you think about our renewal potential at the PLL, and I shouldn't say our, but Paul and Mike's, like there's only so many upstart leagues that you can kind of buy and build and, and kind of like make a, a value proposition argument of like, this is going to lead to more subs. So I think they're in a really good position. Um, I remain bullish on the sport of lacrosse and the PLL in general. Um, if it was a stock, I'd buy it. So that's kind of, that's how I'll close if that makes any sense. Love it. Love it. Um, Dukes, your, your, your thoughts on, I mean, I, I think, yeah, that, that'll make, I think you could probably figure out a way to, I mean, there, there are a lot of teams and I feel like there are probably not a lot of teams, but there are eight teams, probably a couple more eventually on the way. I think that there's probably a great chance there to marry both of those that where you, you got to get some big markets. Um, but then you can also throw in, you know, just just a couple teams where you know that you're going to have a rapid fan base right off the bat. Too, I, I feel like you have one city in mind um, that kind of works for that. So and, any cities popping off on your radar right away. Yeah, um, really just, quick. Really quick, yep. I think that one, the tour-based model we always knew is going to come back to home cities at one point. I think that will slowly transition home markets and then eventually just be tour, like just home-based models. I think we, we always knew that was going to happen, one. Two, I think that the, the, the cities that showed out during the tour circuit, they should be rewarded for having home cities. So I think that that's how they'll kind of be like, which fan bases really showed out? Um, Albany, one of the teams I think really showed out, showed that like they want to have their openers there every single year. So I, I think my list probably goes... Albany, 
Uh, I think Charlotte deserves a nod. Uh, I think Denver deserves a nod. Baltimore deserves a nod. Dallas. I think there should be, you know, I don't think there should be a Boston and Connecticut team, but maybe a New England team. And I think that New England team should be, be based off out of the uh, Fairfield University field. Uh, the way the Fairfield showed out, better weekend than Boston had. Uh, it was very, very fun. My favorite weekend personally to go to. Um, and then, look, I think that Long Island or Philly should have a team and one of the, the, the other city hosts the championship or the, uh, or the semis. Um, but I, actually, again, I, have, I have a great idea there. I think whoever wins Drexel versus Stony Brook, that city gets, gets the we're team. We're not having Stony Brook re- represent Long Island. If it was Hofstra, it would be a different story. I'd be all in. But, but I'm not going to let Stony Brook have my, have my chances for, for a, home, a home team. And also, let's just talk about this really quick. If Long Island gets a fucking lacrosse team for professional lacrosse team, the bar down beer garden will be bumping every Friday. I'll be, it's just a train ride away. I'll be there every single Friday. Yeah, I mean, Long Island is the obvious lacrosse market other than Balti. The question just becomes whether you put it in uh, Red Bull because of the New York considerations for media versus like a Long Island college lacrosse stadium. But, but I think either way, it's named the New York Redwoods or whatever, yes. whatever the team is. Yes, and also, but I do think that that's a very interesting point. I'll just touch on that. I think that that that's the goal for the PLL in general or lacrosse union is to fill out those MLS stadiums. Can we do it yet? I'm not sure. I'm very much based off of fill out what you can right now and then reach for reach for the Red Bull. Because um, again, year one was at the Red Bull Arena. I went. I didn't love it as a fan. Uh, actually, that's where me and Jordy met. And uh, but yeah, I, 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 I played that game. I met Jordy. I, I think it was that's love at first sight. Yeah, it's yeah. I, I was just like a, a deer in headlights. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think you obviously. I'm I'm gonna say Philly has to have a team. Um, I I am a little bit like right now. Like I I think I think you can go with all of the Mid Atlantic Northeast. Like I think you can fit all four of those the the New York, the Boston, New England, Philly, and. Personally, I, I would like to see Annapolis over Baltimore just because I love Annapolis as, as a town. It's it's a fucking sweet place to go, and I'm not like crazy about going to, to Baltimore. Um, so I think you can kind of fit. And then the other four teams is where you can kind of grow, like grow the game a little bit. So you can go out west to PLL headquarters in L.A. You can hit a Denver, which you know is, yeah. is going to be – they've shown to be a successful before. You can hit Dallas. And then like Atlanta is like that like last little city where in my head I'm like – like, can you do Atlanta? Like, is that going to work? Or should they, you know, find somewhere else to maybe a, a smaller market where they know that they can really hit? You can go with like a smaller area in Atlanta. But um, yeah, so that's just the last one that I, I, I think I, I have seven in my head that I think are like should be locks. Obviously, I, I have no insight to this at all. But like if I were running the league, like would be locks. And then that eighth one would just kind of be a, a little bit fluid. Um, the, the, other and- te- the other city I want to put into consideration, uh, like just for – not the hotbeds. It's the three that I think should definitely be in the running. Charlotte. Uh, I mean, four actually. Albany. I guess that is kind of hotbed. Minneapolis, I think, deserves a nod. And obviously Denver. I think yeah, Minneapolis I, to, would be cool. To skew this back to the business side, just as a flag, your guys' heads go to like attendance and live event. The the reality of these decisions, it will be a lot about ratings and rights. Um, so it's a lot about where people are watching. You don't think that the, did you think the NLL's decision, the, the NLL is having the million plus fan bases, fans this season had any, any, anything to do with the it, recent announcement? It, it's just because of how much contractual revenue for these leagues becomes a huge piece of their future, right? You want the TV deals to be large. Like as an example, if you're the NFL and it's like, where do I put a new team? You look at the biggest city in Texas that doesn't have one. You go put a team in Houston. 
right? It's you go and you look at where people watch sports and there's huge population bases and there's urbanization happening and because of taxes and all these different things. So that's why when you look at um, the types of cities that have gotten expansion franchises, here's the perfect argument. This is why Seattle got a team and Quebec City still doesn't have one. Quebec City is like the Baltimore or the Albany lacrosse diehards. Like they would come, they would support. Like, does anyone think the Quebec City Nordiques wouldn't like sell out every game? They would, of course. Right. So it's it's about you know media rights and ratings. That's just the reality of the decision. I guess this would be this. I know we have, really have to wrap up, but this would be my last question. Do you think if there was like a New York team that you would you would split week home games, like some in Albany, some in Long Island? You think that's anything that you think it's a possibility? You could. I mean, it, it's just too early to say. I, I'm sure Paul and Mike have a vision. I don't want to put words in, in their mouths or people's mouths in terms of the, the percent that would be touring versus not and like where you would tour and all those different things. Yeah. I, I just know that for lacrosse to have a future that includes, you know, really, really valuable media rights, New York City needs to have their television turned on. Right. Like that's just a fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, uh, real quick before we wrap up, because I did pro- we did promise you a little bit of, of Bachelor Talk. So uh, yeah, sure. again, kind of, kind of right up against it here. But so you said you're heading over to uh, Dylan Malloy's Bachelor Party this weekend. So got just a couple questions here for you. One, where where are the boys heading? Two, obviously we we all know we can hear you, we can see you. You're a guy who has your shit together, and I'm curious if you're the itinerary guy when you show up to uh, to to shindigs like this, or if you've got maybe maybe the group chat all pitches in. Uh, but you seem like a guy who probably gets the boys together and where they need to be on time. And then the third and final question: the biggest dog who's going to be there at this bachelor party that you're excited to get after it with? Yeah. So top down, first of all, Dylan's marrying a brown girl. So it's brown on brown love. Brown wins as always. Wedding's going to be fucking fantastic. Um, we're going to Pacific Beach, San Diego. He's a Montauk guy. That's where he goes in the summer. So I'm a little bit stunned it's not there, but um, really excited to fly west. I obviously have a California connection. San Diego's beautiful. Weather's fantastic. The crew, it's a hodgepodge of alcoholics. It's a, you know, basically names you know from the, the 2016-17 era. Um, but in terms of the itinerary stuff, the funniest part about wedding season to me is like, Girls, because of bachelorettes and how crazy the like Saturday of a wedding is for ladies, think that there's like a plan to these things. As you know, unless you're like playing golf, like guys literally just basically show up and, you know, dap up and see where the night takes. It's like there's not much of a I think we have one dinner reservation and the best man's Ryan Boy. Um, Dylan's older brother who played a top school player himself. Great dude. He's got a kid. So it's going to be fun to take the uh, training wheels off him, get him back out into the wild and uh in terms of the dog, it's it's super easy. It's the Canadian Alec Tullet. He's the first to arrive, last to leave, and he's pissed drunk the entire time. <laughs> uh, you said you got the, the one dinner reservation. If, if I could just throw something on your radar real quick. Yeah, uh, as, as, as a quick spot to hit for lunch, great little dive bar. I believe it's PB. Uh, Rocky's Crown Pub. They've, they've got an unbelievable burger there. So Love cool it. little dive. Get a, get a good burger to, to soak up some of the, uh, some of the booze. Uh, Dukes, as the resident booze hound on, on the on the pod, you got any any questions here for uh, for the bachelor party or? No, I kind of got the bachelor parties locked down. Uh, I had to miss my my brother in law's bachelor party a couple weekends ago in Scottsdale, so I'm a, I'm a little envious and jealous that. Uh, oh, it's the best. Every, every I mean, especially you know, getting a little bit older, working hard. You know, I don't really see these guys that much, so it's just really really fun to get together and reminisce. Um, so it's it's weekends you cherish. So yeah. it'll be great. Really Anytime excited. you get together with the dogs, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a good time. The best man. Yeah, just don't dodge them up top. 
and you, you should be safe. Yeah. You know, just don't dodge the shorty. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, Larkin, we appreciate all your time. We appreciate your expertise as always. Guys, we've got an unbelievable slate of games all getting going starting today at 1 p.m. Takes us through the rest of the weekend. Uh, so, you know, grab yourselves a, a seat on the couch, a couple cold ones. Enjoy the, the weekend of lacrosse. Make sure that you are following us on Twitter and Instagram at The Crease Dive. Make sure you guys are subscribed to the, to the YouTube channel. And in the meantime, we'll be keeping it low to high until the day we die. We out. Of course. All the best.